Good morning. Today we're reading from Exodus 3, 1 through 15. If you could open your Bibles. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames, a fire within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the father, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God said to, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Yep. Good to see you all. I love that we do this every week. And I um, just want to remind us, what, what, what are we doing here? Like when we, when we, we come together, what are we, what are we expecting to happen? What are we here for? And as I think of my own answer to that question, it's two things. One is um, we are here to encounter God today, right? That God um, is going to meet us in some fresh way. It'll meet us through his word, meet us through one another, meet us through the worship. But we are not just here to to study the Bible and sing songs, we are here to do that, but we're here to encounter the living God together. And I think he's very pleased when we gather in this way. And the other thing we're here to do is to encounter the body of Christ together. And that's what we are. We're the body of Christ. I was um, in first service when Scott just mentioned this idea that um, we worship a man. It was like, it really hit me. Like, we worship a man. There's a person who was born, a human being, that we Christians choose to worship. Now, he also happens to be God. Um, but we worship a God who has, has embodied himself in an actual human being. It's, it's quite a thing. And, and the other way that God now embodies himself is through this body right here. We're called the body of Christ, right? Jesus is not physically here anymore. He's, he has sent his spirit. He's spiritually here. But 
the way that he is physically present in the world now is through his body, which is us. Um, That doesn't sound like the best plan in my mind, personally, um, but that's God's plan. He's broken, um, you know, half-hearted sometimes, but here we are as as the body of Christ, and, and we get to encourage one another. We gather to build one another up in love. The body builds itself up. And so um, the idea is that every, every time we gather here to, to encounter God, to worship Him, to hear from his, Him through His Word, and to build one another up. So hopefully you have an opportunity to encourage someone today, or maybe you need to be encouraged, and, and God wants to encourage you through someone in this room. So that's what we're doing here. That's why we're here, and I love doing it every, every uh, Sunday, and I'm grateful to do it again on this beautiful day. So we're in this, uh, this series on the life of Moses. And what we're doing really is we're not so much studying Moses, right? We're trying to understand who is God through the eyes of Moses. What, is, what, would, it, what would God have felt like to Moses? What do we learn about God through Moses' experiences and adventures? And I think there is no more uh, definitive uh, passage than the one, the one we come to this morning. Almost all of us in this room probably are fairly familiar with it, the encounter with God and Moses at the burning bush, one of the great moments in salvation history, certainly one of the craziest moments in Moses' life. And so really, this is such a foundational passage to our understanding of who God is. And we just take it for granted because we know that, but this is like, this is as core as it gets to understanding who our God is. So I want to walk through this t- today. I'm looking forward to it. And um, what I'm trying to do through this series is I'm trying to strike this balance and the balance is on the one hand Moses is unique Moses story is unique Moses was you know called to a very unique thing we're not all going to be Moses right I mean he's he's as I say he's top five pound for pound you know in, in scripture okay so there's something unique and at the same time though our God remains the same our God is still up to the same kinds of things in this world and our God is still calling his people to partner with him in the work that he has to do in the world. And so there's so much about what we learn here that is absolutely relevant to our lives today. So I want to kind of tease that out this morning. So uh, you up for it? Feel good this morning? Okay. I'm kind of fired up today for this. I love this passage. All right. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So Moses, pop quiz, is how old in this scene? 80 years old, right? 40 years in Egypt, 40 years of Pharaoh's household privilege, honor, wealth, comfort, we would assume, and then 40 years in Midian, wilderness, anonymity, simple family life, shepherd. He hadn't planned on being a shepherd, but he's been a shepherd for 40 years. So he's 80 years old, uh, verse 1, and he, was le- he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. The mountain of God. Another name for that mountain is Mount Sinai, right? Horeb, Sinai, different names for the same mountain. Um, So Moses will bring the people of Israel back to this mountain in Exodus 19. Uh, Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Okay? So um, we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, but then as the conversation goes on, it's clear that this isn't really an angel. This is actually the Lord himself, right? This is, this is God talking. And if we had read through Genesis leading up to this, we'd see this. It happens sometimes where the angel of the Lord will encounter someone, but then it's really clear, actually, we're talking about the Lord himself. And so it seems to me that angel of the Lord is, is the way that the biblical author talks about when, when the invisible God, right, the eternal God, kind of manifests himself in some visible form to encounter his people, The angel of the Lord is the way of talking about that. And so God is manifesting himself here to Moses. And I think, you know, if you're God and you're going to manifest yourself in some form, uh, flames of fire are as good as any, right? I mean, he 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 can do it. He can reveal himself however he wants. And he chooses flames of fire. And I think, gosh, fire, right? The The... The, um, the wildness of fire, the, the purifying presence of fire, the untamable uh, holiness of fire. That's a pretty good way, if you're God, to manifest yourself. And uh, God regularly manifests himself as fire in Israel's story. Again, in, in a couple, 
couple chapters, he will show up with the whole people of Israel on the same mountain. That that time, the whole mountaintop will be set on fire, and God's voice will boom from the top of the mountain. The people will hear his voice and go like, Moses, you talk to God yourself. Tell us what he says. We can't handle hearing directly from him. And so here you have uh, this little bush with fire, kind of a preamble uh, just to Moses of this bigger theophany that's going to happen in a couple chapters. So um, Moses, uh, verse 3, he, you know, he's, he's just tending sheep, and he sees this strange phenomenon, and um, he goes out, uh, he goes, turns to, to check it out, and I promise you that he ends up getting more than he bargained for in uh, checking this, this little burning bush out. But I, I want you to um, just imagine tr- Moses, okay? Tr- put yourself in Moses' shoes. Let's say he's been out there for a couple days. You're on the wilderness with your tending sheep. And you see this strange, this, you know, fiery bush that doesn't burn up. Just imagine going over to look at this phenomenon and then hearing a voice speak out of the fire to you, calling you by name, okay? Out of the fire, Moses, Moses. And Moses is like, okay, here I am. Um, And the first thing that Moses learns is this. This is holy ground right here. Um, what's happening right here. This ground is holy because you are in the presence of a holy being, a sacred being. This is a sacred moment, and this is sacred ground. So take off your sandals, okay? And we don't know culturally why they did that, but apparently that's what you do when you're in the presence of holiness. Take off your sandals and don't come any closer, God says. And then later Moses will actually turn his gaze rather than stare directly into the flames. This is kind of his first experience with this, this God, this wild God who is, who is holy, who, who shows up in fire. And, and what we'll learn through Moses' journey is there will be this constant tension, kind of this push and pull between um, relationship with this God, intimacy, affection, friendship. There'll be all those elements, but also uh, and distance. You can't come too close. This is a God that you're going to feel awe and wonder and reverence and even fear towards. And you're going to have to figure that out. And that will be actually all of Israel's history with God. We'll have that tension of this God who loves us, who's committed himself to us, who is with us, and yet this God who is he's holy and he's wild and we're frail, sinful people. And so there's sort of this... Um, to, you know, push and pull of, of intimacy and, and awe and reverence. And God's people will experience that throughout their history. And I think that, that tension is, is never fully resolved until the cross, where Jesus kind of resolves that tension in dying for sinful humanity. But this is Moses' first experience of come here, but don't come too close. Because <laughs> there's there's this, this is sacred. This is holy. And then in verse 6, um, we get God's, some of God's words. Um, this is the first major speech of God's in Exodus. And like I said earlier, utterly foundational to our understanding of who our God is. Okay? Verse 6, let me read it. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God begins with Moses after saying, this is holy, this is sacred. He, he basically reveals his relational history with Moses. Hey, Moses, I'm your dad's God, and I'm your ancestor's God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am a God who has a story with a people, who committed himself to a people and said he'd be faithful to these people. And so now I'm going to make due on that promise. And so you, I might be kind of new to you, Moses, um, but this is not a new story that I'm inviting you into. This is a story that's been going on for centuries. This is about me being faithful to commitments I made with your ancestors, okay? Verse 7, again, so just utterly foundational. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is who our God is, okay? the God who sees his people. He sees the misery of his people. He hears their cries. 
he's concerned about their suffering. In the Hebrew, literally says, I know their suffering. And in Hebrew, that has this sort of intimate knowledge. It's almost like saying, I, I suffer with my people. I feel the sufferings of my people. I see, I hear, I feel. And then this really important word, and I've come to rescue, to save, to redeem, to free, to heal. Okay, this, this is who our God is, the, the compassionate Savior, the liberator of his people, who sees, who knows, who loves, who feels, and enters to heal, redeem, save. This is 101 of who God is. And notice just notice the, um, the pronouns there in that verse. I have seen, right? I have heard. I'm concerned. So I have come down to rescue. All that to say, salvation in this book is going to be entirely of God's. God planned it. God initiated it. God's going to carry it through. It's going to be God-empowered, God-orchestrated. It's God from start to finish. I, I, I. This is what salvation is all about. It's about a work that only God can do that flesh and blood cannot do. And God is making that very clear here. I am going to do this, right? Uh, And then you get uh, verse 10. And I think verse 10, Moses hears a pronoun um, that he was not probably expecting. Look at verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Me. <laughs> you. I thought, I thought you said that you were going to save and rescue my people. I am. And I'm going to do it through you. Okay, just try to imagine the shock of that for a second. So, You've been away for 40 years from Egypt. Uh, You've been doing a whole lot of nothing, living a normal life for 40 years. And God has just talked about um, taking hundreds of thousands of enslaved people out of the most powerful nation in the world. And he's saying, and I'm going to have you be the one who does it. Okay, just kind of like, how's, like, Right? I mean, what, what am I going to, that, no, what? That, I don't get it, right? There's, I mean, you can, there's no, you can't even comprehend what it would take to, to make that happen. And, and so, <laughs> what's funny is, um, the rest of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 is basically Moses coming to terms with that little pronoun, you, okay? For the next chapter and a half, it's going to be Moses first asking some decent questions and then just coming up with excuse after excuse to try to get out of that little, pro, that little pronoun, you, okay? So today in our passage, what we get is we get two questions, two responses Moses has, and then we'll see some, some more next week. But I just want to just kind of take you through the two basic questions Moses asks. Uh, and here's the first one, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who the heck am I, God, right? I, I'm the guy who, remember 40 years ago, I kind of tried this on my own. It didn't work out so well. Um, by the way, I'm 80 right now. <laughs> like, I, I don't have what, it, I'm not enough for this. I don't have what it takes. I'm, I'm not the guy. I, 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 I can't do this, right? I'm not enough. Who am I to do this? And um, I was thinking this week, some of us spend our whole lives in the fear of that question, right? Who am I? Like, we'll, we'll be invited into something, or God will maybe put something on our hearts, or some adventure that he has for us, some invitation, some need that, that our hearts are kind of feeling, that, that we feel like we are to, are to move towards. And then that question pops up, but who am I? I, I, can't, I don't see how that's going to work. I know my weaknesses, like, I, you know, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm not the person for that. I, I see it, but who am I? And just speaking personally, I, I have regrets in my life, looking back at my life, for times where that question controlled me. And fear controlled me rather than not letting that question control me. But we all, we all have to 
wrestle with that question, who am I? So, it's really important to hear what God's answer to that question for Moses is. Who am I, God? Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Let's just acknowledge that's not an answer to the question, (laughs) right? You didn't answer the question, God. That's not an answer to the question. Uh, That's actually an answer that says, Moses, your your question is actually irrelevant Um, because it kind of doesn't matter who you are. That's not the definitive factor here. The definitive factor is I will be with you. That's all that you need to know. And it's interesting to think actually God could have answered that in some other ways that would have made sense. Who are you, Moses? Moses, you're the guy who grew up in Pharaoh's household for 40 years of your life. Right? Like, who better equipped to go back to Pharaoh's household and engage in that space? You, you can do that, right? That's who you are. Or, Moses, you've been out in this wilderness for 40 years. You know this terrain like no one else. Who else to bring the people through this terrain? None better than you. In some ways, Moses is perfectly equipped for this task that God has, has given him. He's utterly prepared for it. But in this moment, God says, all oh, that's irrelevant, that doesn't matter. What's, what's relevant is this. I'll be with you. And that simple promise, I will be with you, is the promise that echoes throughout Scripture, right? That the men and women of God would hear that promise again and again, God calling them into adventures and basically arming them with that promise. Don't fear. Don't fear. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That is still the promise given to the people of God today. I will be with you. Uh, let's read on in verse 12. So God said, I will be with you. Oh, I love this. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. Now, how do you feel about that sign? Think that one through for a second. Okay, so like a sign is usually... Um, some concrete thing that you give a person to give them assurance, to give them evidence. Like, you're telling me this is going to happen, Lord, but it'd be really helpful to, you know, have something definitive and concrete. And God says, okay, I'll give you something. Here it is. Um, After you've trusted me, after you've jumped into this adventure with me, after you've gone through this, you're going to bring the people back to this very place where we are right now, and you'll realize in that moment that it really was me who had sent you and that I was actually with you through the whole thing. And if I were Moses, I'd be like, Dad doesn't work for me. Like, I'm looking for something right now, right? Could use a sign right here, right now. God's like, no, you jump in. You'll get the sign. And I think how often is that how God works with us, right? Where we, um, there's something that we feel maybe called into, uh, but we're not sure. Or maybe life um, is kind of at a crossroads and we're having to make, right, hard decisions about what to do. And so often we, we long for signs. Sometimes we get them. Um, but so often... We are simply called just to trust in his presence, and we do our very best, right? And we discover looking back, oh my goodness, the Lord was so faithful. He really was with me through that. Um, But I can only see that looking back. In essence, that's kind of what God says to Moses here. All right, so first question, who am I? And the answer is irrelevant. I'm with you. And you need to just step out and discover that it is I who am with you. And then the second question, this will be my final question for the morning. Essentially, Moses begins with, who am I? And the second question is, and who are you? (laughs) It's kind of what Moses says in his own ways. Uh, Verse 13, Moses said to God, uh, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I love that suppose, like, okay, okay, God, hypothetically... Um, let's just, I'll go with you for a second, right? If I were to do this, let's, okay, I'll go with you. And if I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what's his name? Um, what should I tell them? Right? So he's essentially asking, who am I and who are you? But he kind of does it indirectly. He puts the question in the mouths of the Israelites, which is sometimes what we do when we're kind of afraid to ask a question or say something like, you know, if the Israelites ask, you know, who you are, you know, what do I, what do I say? Uh, and uh, it's a valid question, actually. What's, what's your name? Um, what do I say? And uh, so what you need to know before we hear the answer is that in the ancient world, uh, a name was a lot more than just a uh, kind of arbitrary label, right? Just sort of a, a sound. Names often conveyed 
a person's character or their purpose or the essence of who they were or the work that they had to do, uh, their, their reputation in the world. So a name was really substantial. So, for instance, the first man, we call him Adam or Adam. And Adam was made from the Adamah, the, the dust, right? Adam from the dust. The name conveys his origin from the dust. Or Abraham. Abraham was named Abram. And God changes his name to Abraham because Abraham means the father of a multitude because this old man and his old wife would become, you know, the patriarchs, father of a, of a multitude. Or Israel, um, you have Jacob, right, which means heel clutcher. Jacob was this kind of interesting guy, and towards the end of his life, he wrestles with God. He wrestles with the angel of the Lord one night, and God renames him, you are Israel, which means wrestles with God. And that would become the name of God's people because throughout their history, they would be in this push and pull, this wrestling with this God who, who they fought against, yet who was their redeemer. So names convey uh, a lot. So all that to say, for in that time for Moses to say, what is your name? He's asking, how can I identify you? How can I, um, how can I, lab- how can I understand you? How can I define you, if I can use that that? So listen to God's answer to the question, what is your name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or if you look in your footnotes, the other translation is this, I will be what I will be, which I think is probably a better translation, okay? So what's your name? God's answer, I'll be whatever I will be. Well, that's not a name, right? I mean, I don't think it's a name. If it's a name, it's an anti-name. It's, it's, a, it's a name that says, um, actually, you can't define me. You can't categorize me. You can't label me. You can't put kind of borders around me that clearly fits me in some sort of box that you can understand. I'll be whatever I will be. I'm not like the other gods in the ancient world. I'm not like uh, the sun god. You know, you can connect with the sun or the fertility god or the moon god or the, harvest, the God of the harvest, whatever, I, I'm the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. I will be whatever I will be. You cannot put a box around me. Then he says this, verse 14, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So, I will be what I, what I will be, but the best you could say is, tell them I am. <laughs> sent me to you, which conveys a name that can't really be named. I, I am. And then he goes on to say this. Look at verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. In your translation, that will be all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. So let me just help you see what's going on there. That word Lord is translating this Hebrew word. Okay? You read Hebrew from right to left. Anybody have this tattooed on their body? I bet one of you does somewhere. You don't have to reveal it, actually, but I'll bet there's someone out there that has this one on their body somewhere. All right, this is the Hebrew word. It's, there's, there, it's four um, consonants, no vowels. They don't put the vowels in Hebrew. And you either, trans- or you either pronounce this Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on where the vowels go. And so Yahweh, Jehovah, you've heard both those. Those are just different pronunciations for the same word, which is this word right here, okay? And it sounds like the third person singular of the verb to be. It sounds like he is, okay? And our English translates it as Lord, all caps, but Lord is translating this word, which sounds like the Hebrew for he is. So, what's your name? I'll be whatever I will be, but you can tell him I am sent you. That is to say, you can tell them, he is sent me to you. This is the name that you'll call me. This name that sounds like he is. Yahweh, Jehovah. And then he goes on to say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who appeared to your forefathers, who is now revealing himself as he is. (laughs) That's the one who sent me to you. Okay, you still with me? Okay, so just to sum this up, I hear God in this saying to Moses, Moses, here's what you need to know about me. 
I will be whatever I will be. And I will be with you. That's what you need to know. And as I think about Moses' life from here on out, I feel like those two realities would be the fundamental realities of Moses' life. First, this reality, I will be whatever I will be. Moses would learn what this wild adventure with this God who is who he is, who is wild, who is untamable, this God of fire, this God of plagues, this God of uh, miracles, provision, this God who uh, you can't categorize, you can't tame him, you can't control him, you can't predict him, you can't manipulate him, right? He is in charge, he's wild, and he is the I will be what I will be. But he is also the God who says, I am with you. This I will be who I will be has chosen of his own free will to commit himself to his people, to enter into a covenant with them, a relationship, a binding relationship where he says, I'm going to be with you. I will stick by you through thick and thin. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am who I am, and I'm with you. Okay? I'll never leave you. That's, that was the shape of Moses' life, and we'll learn the story. It was a wild ride, right? And I would imagine many nights Moses would lay asleep thinking, um, why did I have to turn aside to look at that stupid bush, right? Like, <laughs> like oh, man. I mean, he had to think that every once in a while. Um, but I also imagine he would say, and yet, I mean, this is, the, this is the greatest meaning and purpose of my life, this, this partnership, this covenant with I will be who I will be. God on mission. And um, so I just want to end by saying what I, I said at the beginning. On the one hand, Moses is unique. His calling was unique. Um, but it's the same God today who's up to the same things in the world. God on his mission to redeem, to restore, to heal. And the crazy thing is he has chosen to partner with us in that mission, right? He could do it on his own, but he doesn't. He partners with his people and says, I am going to do this. And I'm sending you because I'm going to do it through you. That is the story of the Bible. It starts in Genesis 1, right? Like God creates this beautiful world, all sorts of untapped potential, and then he creates image bearers. People made his own image, and he says, now go, I'm sending you. Go fill the earth, and you rule over it. You subdue it, right? You're my representatives, so I want you to go make a a world of this earth that I've created, okay? I'm going to reign, and I'm going to do it through my image bearers, and then he calls Abraham, Abraham, I have a plan to bless all the nations, all the families of the world, and I'm going to do it through you and your family. That's how I'm going to do it. Here we have Moses. I am going to save my people, and I'm sending you. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate example, the God-man who God sent, right, to bring about salvation through Christ Jesus. And as I said at the very beginning, it's crazy to me that Jesus chose to leave. He could have stayed. He could have stayed, and he didn't. He returns to heaven, and he sends his spirit onto his people. He says, now go. I am sending you. All authority has been given to me, and I want you to go now into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, and look, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority is mine, and I am with you. It's the same story being played out until the return of Christ. And so really this is, this is our lives. This is our, all of our vocation sent into the world to partner with God in his plans to bring about healing, bring about goodness, love, his kingdom. And some of us are sent to other nations, right? Some of us are sent across the street to our neighbors. Some of our, us are sent to our workplaces, to our schools, to our communities, just even to our families, right? Some of us have big calls. Some of us have what we might think of as, as little calls. Um, but we're all partnering with God, given this promise. I'm with you. I will, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. That's all you need. 
who you are is slightly irrelevant. I'm with you. And so I think today is, as we just kind of see God at work here, it's, it's an opportunity to, to step back and reflect on our own lives and say, okay, God, here I am in this particular season of my life. What's the invitation for me right now? What's, what's, the, um, what's the ministry that you have for me? What's the adventure that you have for me? What's, what's the, the hard um, journey that you have for me, right? What's, what are you placing on my heart? And, um, and where do I feel that who am I question? And how can I let your promise I will be with you be enough to do what I think you're calling me to do? Okay, that's, that's the question before us. And uh, we want to create a little bit of space to do that in just a second. But before we do that, I'm actually going to have Mark come up and share his own story of um, being called into something that he wasn't looking for, <laughs> that was unexpected, some of the similar dynamics as Moses. Um, he did not offer this. I asked him to do this, and he said yes to that. Um, it's always hard to, you know, follow Moses, right, with your own story. It's a <laughs> tough shoes to fill. Um, so, but he graciously said yes. What I love is um, so many of you, you know, have known Mark forever, but some of you have not. And so uh, this will be a new story for you about how he ended up uh, here at Grace, or on staff here at Grace. So um, I'll have Mark come on up, and then, then he'll uh, lead us in a little reflection for ourselves. Yeah, it's always kind of crazy to follow that story, of course, but um, good morning to you anyway. And uh, well, this past October was my 20th anniversary in my role here at Grace, and, and many of you might know my story that led me to the, si- to the decision to, to be here, but for those of you who don't, as we were kind of thinking back about some of those dynamics that, that I was going through and experiencing, we thought it might be helpful to recount it and with the hope that it might be an encouragement uh, to you for your life. Uh, so with that said, um, out of college, um, as a young man, I would have never imagined that I would have the role I have here. Uh, I jumped right into the marketplace um, just to make my way in the world. I found my wife, Tracy, and married her. Uh, We became well-established here at Grace. Um, We had our two children, Casey and Tucker. We bought a house. Uh, I began serving here as an elder. And things were just cruising along. And um, and years passed, and I turned 40. And you've heard me complain about the decade years for me before, but that really got into my head. And um, uh, it just caused me to sit back and ask some some of the bigger questions like, what am I doing? And, and how did I get here? And is this what I want? And is, is this what really matters most? And at the time, uh, things in my career were going pretty well. And, uh, but after I really thought about my tra- trajectory uh, up to that point, um, I began to think what really was going on was I was just following the financial opportunity that presented itself uh, to me. I didn't care. Uh, I wasn't connecting my work with my core values. Um, And after thinking about it, it just all felt a bit empty to me. And the thought of staying uh, with that status quo for the next second half of, of my life just really began to unsettle me. So I decided to reevaluate and consider the possibility of a career shift to to something else, Um, but without any vision or clue of what that might be. And I think it's important to note here that the notion of stepping out into something else never contemplated full-time vocational ministry. That wasn't even remotely on the possibility list. So I came up with what I thought was a brilliant idea. Uh, to, just to help me discern kind of my next steps. And that was to seek, seek the counsel of my friends. And, and God has blessed me my whole life with just a, a rich abundance of really good friends in my life. People who know me, know my strengths, know my weaknesses. And, and many of them are people who 
who can and do speak truth into my life. And so I set up a series of one-on-one meetings, uh, coffees of sorts, uh, just to get their input. And my game plan at these meetings was to, to have no leading questions, uh, no multiple choices. Um, I wouldn't steer towards or away from anything. I just wanted to listen and take notes on a simple question. And that was this, is that, you know, you know me, <laughs> And um, I want to consider a possible career shift, uh, but I have no idea what that might be. What possibilities make sense to you? That was it. So I had my little journal with me. And my hope was that, you know, after meeting a few friends, I might find some common thread in what they were saying that would help maybe point me in a particular direction. So I started meeting with people. And to make a a long story a little bit shorter, um, I met with 28 people all in all. And I was laughing because I think the reason why it was so many is because I wasn't getting the answer I was hearing. (laughs) (laughs) But in the end, 26 out of 28 said basically the very same thing. They said, you need to be in pastoral leadership in a church. And I won't get too deep into the bloody details of my reaction, but it was not good. Um, I was angry about it. I was confused. I was frustrated because I thought my discernment plan was so brilliant. And this was not the outcome that I was looking for. And, and as I said, I was already uh, in leadership here at Grace uh, as an elder. I loved Grace. I knew Grace. And I knew there was no clear path here um, for some kind of role. And, and even if I wanted to, there was no possible way I could ever afford to go into vocational full-time vocational ministry. And Tracy, my wife, certainly didn't sign up to be a pastor's wife. So none of it made sense to me, and I really wrestled with God. But the Spirit was pressing in, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I opened to the possibility. And, uh, and there's a lot of really interesting pieces to this next story. We don't have time, but basically it kind of culminated one day Um, the elders were away for a little strategic planning retreat, and we took a lunch break, and two of them kind of took me aside and said um, they really were having a strong tug on them that I needed to come on board. And they didn't know about my process. So it really jarred me, and I told them of the process, and, um, and it just led to a lot of discussions and lots of prayer, and we eventually shared the the possibility of this idea with the church and invited them to, to pray over it with us. But this was never the vision I had for myself. I, I felt very uncomfortable. Uh, it, was, it felt very vulnerable to me. Um, it, it actually almost felt irresponsible in some practical ways. But we waited and prayed, and I remember Tracy and I having dinner with some really good friends, Chris and Stephanie White, to talk through all this, and I was sharing with them how risky it felt. How would we survive financially? How would we ever be able to pay for college for our kids or be able to pay for a wedding for our daughter or let alone save enough to have some kind of nest egg when we were too old to work? The math didn't work. Uh, And as I said, it felt almost slightly irresponsible to even consider uh, moving forward without good answers, and I had, didn't have the, the good answers that I felt. And eventually I remember saying to the Lord, uh, I'm really nervous about this idea, Lord, um, but if you're in this, you'll be with me. But I'm struggling to trust that. And for those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an eight, and an eight, a uh, big characteristic of an eight is control. And this whole thing for me was the opposite of control. It was like jumping off a cliff and not knowing uh, was at the, what was at the bottom. So that was 20 years ago. And, uh, and now I'm on this side of that 20 years. And, and I, I just want to just share with you, I've witnessed God showing up in remarkable ways, honestly, sometimes inexplicable ways. I've loved my job. Uh, and there have been really hard days and seasons that just come with the territory of this work. Uh, but there's never been a day that I've regretted that decision. 
And God has been with me through, through it all. And I remember when I first took on this role, um, I had to come to terms with the massive paradigm shift. Coming from sort of the marketplace, the business world, this was a very, very different thing. And, um, and as I considered all the things that I wanted to see happen in the people of our church, in the hearts and minds of people in our church, I realized I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't do that. Because that thing that I wanted was a spiritual work. That is, ultimately, it was the spirit of God's work that needed to happen in the hearts and minds of his people. Yes, he uses me and uses my personality and my gifts he's given me, but he is the active ingredient, not me. And so all those fears and unanswered questions about God's provision that I had, and honestly, occasionally still creep into my heart, um, God has been there uh, every time, providing in ways that I could have never anticipated and working things out that honestly still to this day, I can't get my head around. My math didn't work out, but he has a whole other calculus for his purposes. And the parable of the vine and the branches that Jesus uh, talks about in John 15 has been sort of my focal passage from day one in ministry. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. And it's such a simple image, yet so profound the branch that's us, we're the branches, is part of the program. But the life source that animates it all and produces the fruit comes from the vine. And you could say that really the real work of the branch is not about bearing fruit. It's about connecting to the vine, clinging to it, trusting it. Fruit and provision is simply a byproduct of that. Anyway, so that's my story. Uh, hope it's helpful in, in some ways to you. And what we just want to do right now is to give us all some space to just kind of think about these questions for yourself, about yourself, and, uh, and just go to the Lord with it. And so why don't we just bow together in prayer. Let's just close our eyes and let's just go to God together. And as you sit there with your eyes closed, just maybe consider some of these questions. What issue or need or opportunity does God seem to be making you aware of or inviting you into in this season of your life? It could be a simple thing. It could be a dramatic thing. Or where is fear or maybe a sense of inadequacy holding you back from stepping into something God has been tugging at your heart to do? Where do you need to be reminded of God's promise? I will be with you. I will provide. And how does knowing his presence will be with you change things? So let's just ponder these things and bring them before the Lord and just take some space to do that. Father, you know each of us, and you know how easy it is to think only in terms of our strength, limited by our imagination, our capacities or limitations, or our vision. 
But when we step back and think about it, that's so strange, actually, and silly even. Especially when we think that you are our Father. The one who created the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. With a word, you speak reality into existence. There is nothing too hard for you. There is no dream too wonderful for you. May we see what's possible, not through the lens of what's possible for us, but what's possible with you. And we're reminded by your word that all things are possible with you. Lord, you've promised us that you will be with us. And I have imagined frequently over the years what it might have been like to have had the chance to walk with you like the disciples did on this earth. To be able to ask you questions and to share a meal with you. But then I remember you telling them as you were about to leave them physically that you would continue to be with them until the end of the age but in, in an even better way, through the indwelling of your spirit, a gift to them that is our gift too. We can still walk with you and ask you questions and go anywhere and do anything, and you will be with us. Your presence, your power, your peace, and your provision will be with us. So may we believe, Lord. May we trust this truth. And may we step forward and, and say to you, here I am, Lord. Let's go as you go with us. And it is in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.